mental battles, emotional battles, family battles, financial battles, health battles. How many of you are battling something right now? Raise your hand up. If you've got some kind of battle going on, then you don't want to miss the rest of this series. Uh, you're going to want to be a part of it. Well, um, I don't know what I did with my phone, but I guess I don't need it. So we'll go on. I'll find it later. Praise God. I, I'm going to uh, preach today on the subject, It is Finished. Everybody say, It is Finished. Um, this is, in English, this is the last three words that Jesus spoke before he died. But actually, in the Greek, it's one word. There is no, there is no exact translation for the Greek word, tetelestai, into one word for English. But the Greek word, tetelestai, literally means it is finished. And I want to talk about that today, so if you will... Uh, uh, you can just remain uh, seated if you want today. No, just stand up. I, it's something about honoring God and His Word. I, I know you just sat down, you're comfortable and all that, but I like to show honor to whom honor is due. And we want to welcome everybody. Thank you for coming today. John chapter 19, verse 30, just one, one verse of Scripture here. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished, or to tell us die, and bowed His head and gave up His spirit. He died. The last thing he said on earth was, it is finished. To tell you the truth, in all my years of being in church, growing up in church, listening to thousands of messages through my lifetime, doing literally thousands of messages myself in my lifetime, I'm doing this almost 25 years, I've never heard anybody preach just, it is finished. So the Lord dropped this in my spirit and we're going to try to Flesh this out and make sense of this and explain what does that mean for our lives today. So if you will, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for this time to be together. I thank you for the blood of Christ. I thank you for the greatest weekend of the year. The weekend where you died on a cross, but yet on that early Sunday morning you rose from the dead and defeated death, hell, and the grave. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for our sin. God, I ask you for the next few moments to anoint me. To speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I ask, O oh Lord, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have. I don't know where my phone is, so I'll hold my computer up. And let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. Deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. Anoint my heart. Anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. High five somebody as you're being seated and say, it is finished. Come on, shout it out to somebody else. Say, it is finished. Several years ago, many years ago, a Christian farmer was really concerned about an unsaved carpenter. The farmer sought to explain to him that the finished work of Christ was all he needed. But this carpenter, having done so much wrong in his life, felt as if he had to, he had to earn, partly earn his way into heaven by good works. Kind of the mentality of, well, I've done so much bad, i got to do enough good to, to, you know, outweigh the bad. And the 
farmer kept trying to explain, but you can't finish the work of Christ. And he, he just couldn't understand it. The carpenter couldn't get it. So I said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to build me a new gate for my fence, for the horses and goats and all that. He built him a new gate, man, and it was nice. The farmer put it on the wagon. He said, I want you to come out tomorrow, and we're going to put it, attach it to the fence, and we're going to, I want you to see it get in, put in place. The carpenter showed up. When he showed up, the gate was hanging there, getting ready to be hung, and the, and the farmer had an, an axe in his hand, sharp axe. And the carpenter said, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, uh, I'm going to make a few cuts because I want to make it better. He said, no. He said, you don't need to do anything to make it better. It's perfect the way it is. Well, the farmer acted like he didn't hear it. And he got ready to go in motion. And the carpenter said, stop. You can't do anything to make this better. The only thing you can do is mess it up. Don't hit the gate. All you're going to do is mess it up. It's already a perfect finished work. To which the farmer got a smile on his face and he said, and all you can do is mess it up. Jesus Christ has already given a perfect finished work and all you can do is mess it up. Finished means entirely done. Brought to a complete state. A final treatment or coating on the surface. When I think of something finished, I think of a beautiful piece of furniture that's finished. All the rough places sanded out. It's smooth. It's varnished. I mean, it is perfect. You won't get splinters. You sit down. It's gorgeous. It's finished. It's complete. You can add nothing to it. I think of an artist who does a great painting. When they get all the colors blended just the way they want and everything in the picture just the way they need, just as it was in their mind, and they see it and it is, it is perfect to them. Or I think about a, a sporting event, a NASCAR race, where the checkered flag waves and the first car comes across. That's it. The race is over. The, the, it's finished. There's no more laps to drive. There's no more where to go. I think of a golf tournament or the World Series or, or, or sporting events. When the, when the last pitch is done and the last out of the World Series, that's it. It's, the game is over. It's finished. In the same way, what Jesus Christ did almost 2,000 years ago on a cross is finished. There is nothing you and I can do to add to what Jesus Christ has already done. Our salvation is by grace and grace alone. Somebody say amen. amen. So I have two very simple points today, and that is this. Point number one, what does it is finished mean? What does it is finished mean? I mean, these are the last words in English on the cross. The last word of Jesus Christ in the Greek, to telestai. It is only found in John 19.30, probably because John was standing there near the cross with his mother. The Greek word teleo means to bring to an end, complete, finish, to execute, or to pay. I, I love this. It is finished is an accounting term which literally means paid in full. Boy, I love that. So when Jesus, his last words on earth were paid in full. I love that. When we talk about righteousness, what does it mean when someone is righteous? It means they have right standing with God. But the question comes in, how do we get in right standing with God? Because it's not by grace 
and works that save you. Some people come into the church and they think, well, yeah, I'll take Jesus, but I'm also going to do a lot of good work so I can get on God's good side and earn my way there. You can't be saved by grace and works. It's either one or the other. And Scripture's clear that you can't be saved by works. So there's only one way we can be saved, and that is by grace. The grace of Almighty God. Grace is a gift and works is earned. So I'm going to throw a word out that the, the old English version uses, and I'm going to show you how this all ties in today. Everybody say imputed. Now there's a word we don't really use today, but I'm going to teach what that is. God imputed righteousness into us, and that again is an accounting word. And I'm going to flesh this out for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, here's a great imputed. For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He imputed or he accredited or he accounted Jesus' righteousness into us. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere. I want you to watch this. He put Jesus' righteousness, watch this, into my account. And he took my sin and wickedness out of my account and put it into Jesus' account. It's the greatest trade in human history. God said, your life is filled with sin and wickedness, all of us. He said, my son is pure and sinless and died on the cross. He said, how would you like to go into eternity with wickedness and sin? And I said, well, I don't, I don't think I would like that very much. He said, well, here's what you got to do. All you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Give your life to him. And here's what I'll do. I'll take all the purity, all the righteousness, all the holiness... All the, everything pure and holy in God, and I will put it in your account, and I'll take all the filth and the mess of the life that you have made, and I'll put it in Jesus' account, so now I got a swap going on. Somebody say amen. I don't know about you, but I like trading, and that's the greatest trade ever. God's going to give me all the good and take away all the bad. In other words, he deposited righteousness in my account and withdrew sin and put it in Jesus' account. I don't know about you, but folks, that's the good news today. Can somebody say amen? Here's how this works. Even in the Old Testament, it talks about it. Psalm 32, which is a messianic psalm. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. In other words, he's imputed righteousness, your sins are gone. And does not, blessed is the one whose sin does, the Lord does not count. That is, uh, in the New King James Version, imputed, does not count our uh, sin against us, does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. So right there, even in Psalm, it's prophesied that God is going to put righteousness in our account through Jesus and faith in Him, and He's going to take sin and put it in Jesus' account. Why is this important? I want to just flesh this out one more time. Romans 4, 22 through 24, I want to show you how accounting and imputation is the same word. There are three underlying words in, this, in, this, in, these two, in these three verses here. And I want to show you how they're exactly the same Greek word. And therefore, it was accounted. Everybody say accounted. To him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Same Greek word. Verse 24. But also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus 
our Lord from the dead. In other words, what he's saying is, Abraham believed God. It was a credit to him. It was imputed to him, uh, that righteousness because of his faith, and it works the same way with us. So watch this. If we look through red glass, you're going to see everything red. If you look through a blue glass, you're going to see everything blue. If you look through a yellow glass, you're going to see everything yellow. Watch this. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, when you give your life to him and you put your full trust in him, God sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. No longer does he see all the wicked things you've ever done. No longer does he see the sin that was once in your life. All he sees is pureness and holiness because the pureness and holiness of Jesus was put in your account and that's all he sees. Woo! Somebody shout glory. Now some of you may not be excited by that, but I am very excited by that because of my past. What that means is, that's the great New Testament doctrine of the imputation, or watch this, the accounting of righteousness into our account, and the imputation or the accounting of of our sin into Jesus' account. So when God looks at you now, he looks at you through rose-colored glasses and said, all I see is someone covered in the blood. All I see is righteousness. All I see is holiness. All I see is purity. Why? Because Jesus' righteousness was put into my account. That's why we love Easter. Somebody shout glory. It is finished comes from the Greek word, as I said, tetelestai, which is the, this will be the only time you hear something like this, the perfect indicative passive tense of the word teleos. Basically, teleos is the root word of tetelestai. What does tetelestai mean? One scholar noted that anything that had reached teleos or tetelestai had reached maturity, had reached completion, had reached perfection. It was done. As a matter of fact, in those days, when they would send a servant out on a mission, the servant would come back and the master would say, how'd it go? If the, if the mission was completed, the servant would say, tetelestai, meaning that I have accomplished what you sent me to do. What you sent me to do is completely and utterly done. There's nothing left to finish. In the moment that Jesus Christ cried out on that cross, Tetelestai, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He was proclaiming to the entire universe and to you and I for 2,000 years now that the mission was accomplished. That what he set out to do, what he came to the earth to do, was finished, was complete, and was perfect. Nothing left to do. Somebody say amen. amen. As a matter of fact, the word tetelestai, or it is finished, was the equivalent of the Hebrew word spoken by the high priest when he presented a sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish for atonement. And the day of atonement, he would present that lamb, and when he sacrificed, he would say, and the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew version, tetelestai. You know what he was doing? He would have to do that once a year because in the Old Testament, that Jesus, God, allowed for the sacrifice of animals to happen once a year to basically not really cover sin, but just kind of pacify until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, he, he became the ultimate sacrifice. When he hollered out to Telestai, he was saying there's no more animal sacrifice necessary. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the atonement. It was now completed. 
It was perfected. It was fully accomplished. It was done once and for all and forevermore. Listen, we do good works because we are saved by grace. We don't do good works to try to get saved. You can't complete what's already been completed. You can't perfect what's already been perfected. You can't bring the maturity what's already there. What you do is, out of thankfulness for what he's done for your life, you then serve him and walk for him and, and, and live for him. Can, does everybody catch what I'm saying here? In a secular sense, it is finished, or to die was used in the business world to signify the full payment of a debt. I love this. So when the debt was paid off, they would take the parchment that the debt was paid on, and they would write on it to telestai, which means paid in full. If you've ever had a car note and you paid it off, how many have ever had a car note and paid it off? Anybody? Am I the only one here that's ever had? Okay. If you've ever had a car note and you pay it off, the original paperwork, when you pay it off after a week or two, you'll get in the mail the original paperwork that you signed originally, but watch what will happen. You'll have, usually in red ink, the bank will stamp on there whatever loan you use, paid in full with the date. In other words, as long as you have that document, they can never go back to you and ask for more money. They can never say, well, you owe me. It has been paid in full. There are no more payments owed. That vehicle is now yours. Man, this means that once a person calls on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior... Once they personally accept his sacrifice, watch this, there is no debt of sin that exists any longer. The debt has been paid. Woo! The debt is wiped out because Jesus paid a price that none of us could ever pay. He took our place. He paid the debt we owed. And when we by faith repent and receive him as Lord and Savior, our sin gets paid off, our debt gets paid, and we get accredited with the righteousness of God. That's what Easter's all about. In classical Greek, the word tetelestai, or it is finished, depicted... A turning point when one period ended and another period began. That is exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. When he hollered to Telestai and he bowed his head, it meant that the Old Testament had now come to a completion. It was over. It was done. There was no more. And now the New Testament era would begin. It was a turning point in history. And listen... Contrary to what the new people want to do, they want to try to get God out of everything. So now they say BCE or before the common era, or they say CE, the common era. I want to tell you for 2,000 years, it was BC before Christ and AD, Anno Domini, meaning the year of our Lord. In other words, the cross of Calvary changed human history, it changed our calendar, it changed everything. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, the cross changed the course of human history. I love this. Jesus was saying, it is finished. The debt that we owed to God because of our sin was finally and forever dealt with. Not only did he pay the price of sin, but he removed our sin. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, we cannot add anything to the grace of God. So why would you try to earn your way anywhere? It is finished. Signed, sealed, done, and delivered by the blood of Jesus. The night before his death, 
as he's celebrating communion in John chapter 17, he prays a prayer. And this is what he said in John 17, 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. What was his work? Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Well, pastor, I understand all that, but you know, my, my life's not too bad. Well, look what Romans 3, 23 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. As a result, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So now we know what it is finished meant. Now we know in classical Greek and secular Greek and, and, and the Hebrew equivalent was. But what now, point number two, what does it is finished mean to us? What does that have to do with me, Pastor Dallas, here in 2022? Well, if there's a God, there's a devil. If there's a heaven, there's a hell. If the Bible's the word of God, and it is, then there's a hell. Did you know that Jesus taught more on hell than he did heaven? Did you know that hell has no parole and no furloughs? Did you know that there, no one gets off for good behavior in hell? The scripture says God is light. Do you know why there's total darkness in hell? Because if God is light and there's total darkness in hell, it's because there's a total absence of God in hell. Can you imagine living in a place with the total absence of God? I think the closest I've ever been to feeling that way was in Bangkok, Thailand. I, I believe the devil lives there. I, I really do, having been on a mission trip there. But imagine if you went to bed tonight and you saw the last sunshine you'd ever see. Imagine if you couldn't get up in the morning and you there were no sunsets, there was no sunrises, you had seen the last right here on this day. Hell is described as, in God's word, as a place of utter and complete darkness. And there are five words in the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament that describe or are words of compartments of hell. You say, Pastor, this ain't some kind of Easter message I want to hear. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit put on me. Amen? And this is evidently what we need to hear. Did you know there are five words for hell in the Bible and the Hebrew and the Greek? And they describe hell in different ways. The first one is tarpus. Everybody say tarpus. In Hebrew, tarpus means prison house. It is a description of when the, the angels followed Satan in their coup against God and he threw them out of heaven. Some of those angels went to tarpus or they went to the prison house. And they're going to be held there until a thousand years after the rapture. Well, then they will be dealt with. The second word used to describe hell is a place called the abyss. Abyss means the pit. It is a place where disembodied demons go. It is where demons that have no place to inhabit end up. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus was throwing the demons out of the man from Gadara. And they said, please don't take us to the abyss. Put us in the pigs. Anywhere but not the abyss. That's why they frantically look for a soul they can inhabit. That's why they search for a home. They don't want to go to the abyss, according to Scripture. The third compartment in hell is one we don't often think about, but it's called paradise in the Greek. It's the only place in hell, listen, that's empty right now. This is where Old Testament saints had to dwell. It was not a place of torture. But it was a place of confining in the Old Testament because Satan, because of Adam and Eve's sin, Satan held the keys to death and the grave. 
But people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs, they went to this compartment of hell. It wasn't a place of torture. It was a good place for them. But it was like a holding compartment, if you will. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says Jesus went down there in Revelation 1.18. He took the keys of death and hell from, the, from, uh, from, from Satan. And now when Jesus got the keys, watch this. There is now an empty compartment verifying that Jesus Christ is Lord and it is finished. Not only, listen, there wasn't just an empty tomb on this day 2,000 years ago. There was an empty compartment in hell. Because Jesus went and got them all out and took them to heaven. Glory to God. Somebody needs to hear this. I want to tell you there was an empty tomb and there was an empty room. He went and got his children. He has risen from the dead. He has conquered the powers of hell. Woo! He has an empty tomb to prove. And listen, every day those demons have got to look at that empty compartment of hell and say, He really is Lord. <laughs> Not only is there an empty tomb for us to go to, there's an empty room for people, the demons in hell, to say, Man, Jesus is Lord because there used to be people there and now they're gone because of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Woo. The fourth compartment of hell is called Sheol. Sheol is a Greek term referring to the place where the wicked dead shall go to await a judgment. Listen, Psalm 55, 15 is very clear. When wicked people die, they go instantly to hell. Listen, there's no holding place. Hear me now, there's no purgatory. Hear me loud and clear. When you get your last breath on this earth, there is no second chance. Your second chance is now. Your, your, your opportunity is now, but when this life is over, there is no purgatory, no holding place, no second chances. People who are not saved will instantly go to hell, but people that are saved will instantly go to heaven. Somebody say amen. Finally, the fifth compartment of hell is called the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is where all the wicked eventually end up. The demons, the devil, the antichrist, all the scary creatures and stuff in Revelation. And it's all going into the liquid lake of fire. And they've all been sentenced, those people that do not have Jesus in their heart. People who reject the gospel will stand before him and they will be thrown into a lake of fire. And you may be here right now and you say, but preacher, I have never chosen not to serve Christ. Well, let me illustrate it this way. When we were at Lee, well, this is before I got to Lee. Holly was at Lee at the time. In 1993, they had a hall, a dormitory there called Ellis Hall. And some boys from Ellis Hall at Lee University, Lee College at the time, got into a fight with some boys from the town. Well, the boys from the town got to drinking and about 3 o'clock in the morning decided they wanted to get even. Four of them in the car, they pull up, got out of the vehicle with gas cans, Doused the halls and the stairwells of this hundred boy dormitory built out of wood, lit it on fire while they were asleep, hoping to kill them all. By the grace of God, they all got out. No one died. One was seriously injured, but nobody died. When the court dates came for those four boys, they got to the last boy, and the judge said, Son, why did you choose to go along? He said, Well, I never really chose to go along. He said, I just was with my buddies, and we were drinking, and, and one thing led to another. They got out. He said, I didn't even get out of the car, Judge. I, I didn't do anything. He said, son, he said, the fact that you rode in that car makes you an accomplice to this crime. And he said, the fact that you didn't choose to get out of the car meant you choose to stay in that car and be a part of this crime. And he said, I'm sorry, son, but he said, you're an accomplice to this crime, and you're going to prison for many years. 
for attempted murder. He said, Judge, I, I didn't choose to do it. He said, but by not choosing to not be involved, you chose to be involved. And I'm telling you under the sound of my voice, there's going to be people who will stand before a holy God one day and they'll say, Jesus, I never rejected you. And he'll say, but by not choosing me, you actually chose not to serve me. And I'm sorry, but you've got to depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. I hear me, hear this preacher right here telling you, please don't let God say that to you. It is finished. We don't have to go to this awful place. We have been, the debt has been paid. All we have to do is give our life to him and live for him. And guess what? We get accredited righteousness. And instead of hearing that awful thing, we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you a ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Somebody shout glory. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was saying, I'm providing the only answer for sin, and we all have it. He said, it is finished to tell us die. Uh, on the cross, it meant that the only way to God is through Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 11, and 12. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus paid the price. Woo, I'm going to say it again. Jesus paid the price. When he, when he cried out to Telestai, it is finished. He was saying, paid in full. Why would you pay for something that is free and been given to you? Just receive it. 1 John 1 and 9 says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to watch this, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ransom is a Greek word, lutron, which means something to loosen with, a redemption price. The price paid for slaves, the price paid for lives. I want you to understand today that Jesus paid the price for you to be free. Let's pretend that you are driving in a city you don't know, a little town. Maybe you're over in Indiana somewhere. And you don't realize this little town, if you get a speeding ticket there, it's a billion dollar fine. You're only going a couple of miles over the speed limit. They pull you over. Throw you in jail. A couple of days you stand before the judge and you say, Judge, I, I, I was only going a couple of miles an hour over the speed limit. Really? Are you really going to do this? He says, hey, in our town... We follow the law to the letter of the law. So, yes, you're going to jail. But, 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 but judge, 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 listen, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't know what the rules of the town were. When you drive through our city limits, you need to know the rules and regulations of how we do things. And I'm sorry you didn't know, but that's not my problem. But judge, judge, I'm really, really sorry. So I can appreciate that you're sorry, but there's still a fine that has to be paid. But judge, judge, you're a good judge. He says, wait a minute, you call me a good judge? The fact that you're calling me a good judge means I judge based on the law. And the law says, you broke the speeding limit. You are fined a billion dollars. You will never see the light of day until you pay it. All your arguments are out. You give up total hope. As he's about to take the gavel and hit the gavel down on the, on the podium there. Somebody runs in and says, wait, judge. I've got my checkbook here. 
My name's Elon Musk. And I can write you a billion dollar check. Here. And he writes it out and he hands it to the judge. The judge will then look at you and say, well, Pete, you're free to go. Why? Because Pete was really, really sorry? Nope. Because he was a really, really good judge? Nope. Because the pay fine had been paid. Here's why you and I are free from sin and free from hell and free to live for Jesus and free to have his righteousness accredited to us and free to live in glory in heaven forever because Jesus paid the fine. Somebody say amen. When Jesus uttered the words, it is finished, the power of sin, death, and Satan was finished. So what did he do for us? Ephesians 2, 1. Watch this. He made you, he made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Let's do the same accrediting thing and accounting thing. You ready? He gave you life and he took death out of you and put it in Jesus. Are you seeing the great swap here? He took death and gave you life. How many say that's a good news for me? And Ephesians 2, 5, what did his finish mean for us? It means he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgression, it is by grace you have been saved. In other words, he says, hey, it's all yours. Would you like to have some life? And you say, I would, but all I got is sin and death. He says, no problem. I'll take the sin and death out of you. I'll get it into Jesus' account, and I'm going to give you life and righteousness in your account. Boom, done just that fast. Woo, that's called a work of grace. Somebody shout glory. When I was just learning the voice of God, I sat in an old beat up conversion van. Not a conversion van. What are the vans with the no windows? I can't, it was a work van, but it just had two doors and a big long cargo van. That's what I'm looking for, a cargo van. And I'm sitting there, and we're in downtown Roanoke, Virginia. And this uh, guy I was working with had to go in there and do some paperwork or something. And I'm just sitting there. It was just an AM radio, and I hated AM radio. So I thought, what am I going to do? And here's what the Lord said. I was, a, I was a new youth pastor. I was new in the ministry. He said, well, talk to me. I said, okay. Well, how do I talk to you? I mean, I just, I mean, God, we just talk like that. He said, like you want anybody else? I said, well, okay, how you doing? You know, that's the thing you do with people. You say, hey, how you doing? His answer blew me away. He said, I'm hurting. I said, you're hurting? You're God. He said, I'm hurting because my people have abandoned me. And he immediately took me to the man walking down the street. He said, like that one right there. He's living life just so he won't die. He's existing. He doesn't have real life. He's just existing. He's just waiting to die. I said, oh, my Lord. I said, just existing. He said, yes, anyone who does not have me in their life is just existing because Jesus is the life. Are you living just so you won't die? Are you just existing? From one sunrise to the next? Are you just existing in this life? Or has he made you alive? Are you on your way to Tarpus? 
or the abyss or Sheol or the lake of fire? Would you be interested in changing your eternal destiny? Would you like a different ending to your story? Would maybe for the first time in your life you actually feel alive? It is finished to tell us I meant you don't have to go to hell. It is finished. To tell us that I said, hey, you can have a different eternal destination, one in heaven filled with joy and love and perfect health. You can have a different outcome if you'd like. I'll close with this. The Pharisees instituted 613 rules and laws, way beyond what God ever said. And it's like God is standing here today and he is saying, hey, I've got a test, 613 questions. He said, if you like, you can take it. But let me tell you up front, if you take it, if you miss one question, you fail. And failure means you go to a place called hell, not even designed for people. He says, but my son Jesus took the test and he got a perfect score. And if you'd like... I'll give you his score.